One of the things that I think is interesting about life, and I think you can agree with me, is that life is nice and challenging. Um, there's, it's punctuated by seasons of awfulness, little bits of joy, and then some more awfulness and seasons of joy. And what's crazy is trying to figure out how do we navigate what, when those punctuated moments of terror or anxiety or horror, this is just me processing parenting a, a teenager. You have your own things that you're, you're dealing with. But one of the things that we've been really wrestling with um, that's been helpful for me is recognizing that life is really hard. And there are these moments that seem to just be these all-encompassing, challenging moments and trying to figure out how do you navigate this moment? What's the perspective to help you get through um, this thing? And what we've done with our children and students' ministries, we've tried to have a, a broader perspective. And I think this perspective actually helps and works for me as a parent of a teenager. I think it works for people who are in midlife, challenging, all sorts of things. It doesn't work so much for Al. Um, so Al, you, you've already made this. But this is the basic premise. When we look at our kids, we look at the students in our student ministry, we want to play the 80-year game, right? We look at these precious 12-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and we just think, Lord, have mercy, what is going on with these guys? There's this punctuated amount of chaos and we love them and we see every wrong choice they're making and we freak out. And what happens is a lot of times as parents or people, authority figures, we want to draw this hard line in the sand. We want to clarify. We want to stop this behavior. We want to stop this thing. We want to do everything we can to fix this moment. But a lot of times when we do to fix that moment, we end up causing more and more chaos and more and more division, more and more heart challenge between us and the person that we're actually trying to walk through a challenging season with. And so what we've, what we've done in the language we've been using with our kids and our students, and I'm trying to incorporate in my own worldview and in some of my pastoral care is this, instead of thinking, how are we going to solve this actual moment? Because this actual moment is way too hard. It's way too challenging. It's way too complex. But what happens if we don't see our life as this one moment, but we're playing the 80-year game? Our little precious 12-year-old, our precious 20-year-old, right? We want to behave and work and see them that they're, they have an 80-year lifespan, right? Al, you're crushing it. You, you've like six, you're, you're, you're past. Good job. Praise God for you. Pray for us, right? But, but we look at these people, we realize if, if, you're, if you're playing an 80-year game, all of a sudden the questions that come up, the, the freakouts that happen, the challenging that happens, the, the you know, losing a business, bottoming out, like everything that happens, if you go, oh my goodness, we still have 20, 40, 60 more years of life to navigate. It's a whole different way in which we engage that person, that we engage that situation. And this morning, as we wrap up our time in Philippians, I just think it'd be a good, um, helpful reminder. We're going to see Paul um, wrap up his letter to the Philippians. And I think there's some great summation um, things that God has to say through Paul to us, which is this, that we want to clarify, um, we want to clarify our perspective. If we want to be people that are moving towards Christ, and as we move towards Christ, as we're growing towards Christ, there's going to be all sorts of ups and downs in our lives and the peoples around us. And instead of us freaking out, instead of us throwing in the towel, instead of feeling abandoned by God, I think God this morning has a nice encouraging word for us that, no, no, if we can just clarify our perspective, if we can recognize that this moment is not just this moment, but this moment is a tiny moment in the midst of our whole life of this 80-year game. And this 80-year game that we're playing is just this one moment in the midst of this whole eternal kingdom of God movement that God is a part of, right? All the things that God is doing in and throughout all of history to expand his kingdom, we are just this moment in that as well, which means that our personal chaos, the things that are driving us crazy, our burdens, our anxieties need to be put in perspective of all of that. 
And so we're going to see how Paul helps us navigate that in Philippians. So if you have one of these, this is our, our little scripture journal. Last time we're using this uh, for a while. Actually, I guess forever. So that's sad to me. All right, so we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 10. All right. All right, it says this. So I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have, received, sorry, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you've had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I know that in every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I love that passage, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is a great verse, and we love, uh, you know, putting it on our football helmets and taking it out of context. But that passage of scripture is, is, is placed in the midst of this whole conclusion that Paul is writing in this passage of the Philippians. And what's crazy is I, I could not get away from this, that this whole passage is this weird dance that Paul does around money. And I've always wondered, every time I've read Philippians, I love Philippians, I'm like, this is so great. And then I get to the end, and I just think, Paul, what are you doing? And if you really read this, it kind of feels like Paul's a little bit of a whiner. And I don't know if you're allowed to say that about one of the greatest apostles, but it feels like he's a little bit of a whiner, right? He's like, I rejoice, I'm, I'm talking all spiritual, but now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but now you've had no opportunity. And then he goes on in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek this gift, but I seek the fruit that increases this credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. And, and this whole passage is him just kind of having this weird day about, hey, thanks for all this money. Thanks for partnering in ministry, but it's not about the money because it's about the ministry. But hey, thanks for the money because I need the money to do the ministry. And he's kind of going back and forth and it's this really weird dance. And I, give, I have to give him a little bit of grace because for us in our culture, I think we have this really weird relationship with money, but it turns out people have always had a weird relationship with money. But in the ancient Near East, in the ancient Mediterranean, just like almost every culture except for our culture in the last 20 years, there was this idea that it's better to give than to receive. The person who was generous actually had the social upper hand. And the, the Philippians, the, the church in Philippi was giving generously to Paul. And Paul was receiving that gift. But what happens is, just like maybe you've experienced this with your grandmother, I had this grandmother, and uh, what would happen is in college, um, she figured this out, that if she would send me a check, I would call her. And then if I called her, she'd say, and you should come visit me, Benjamin. And then I'd be on the hook. I'm like, oh, I guess I should come visit her. And then and it was this weird thing. And it just happened. It happened when I was 20, all the way until I was like 40 years old. I'd get this check and I'd, oh, I got to call my grandmother. When are you going to come visit me, Benjamin? I guess we're going to San Diego, right? Because we have this weird relationship that if someone gives us this gift, we're now on the hook, right? There, we're, there's, there's always these strings attached. And it was no different in the, in the, in the ancient Near East uh, where, where Paul was. And so he's having this relationship with the Philippians and, and, and he's recognizing they're pouring resources on him. They're blessing him with all of this material need. And his, this is the one church that's actually his partnership. But there's this weird dance. And Paul is, I think, trying to find this weird dance of saying, thank you so much for this gift. But just so you know, it's actually not about, I don't, I'm not on the hook for this. This is awesome. This is a brilliant pastor's dream world right here. He says, I'm not on the hook. The gift you gave me was actually a gift you gave to God. And so God's now on the hook. Isn't that a good little trick? Check this out. So in, at the end in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, it says this. 
So, and then if God's on the hook, then God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. Boy, this is like, this verse must have been taken out of context by every pastor on the planet because it really feels like it's this if then. If you give to the ministry of God, if you give to the resources to your favorite pastor, just know that God is going to meet every one of your needs, right? It kind of feels that way. Just so you know, that's not what's going on. Okay. So Paul is recognizing that the Philippians are giving him this gift. He's trying to clarify, listen, the gift isn't coming to me. It's actually coming to God. And because there is this weird reciprocity that God is the kind of God that also sees the gifts that you're giving in his name and towards his kingdom, and God in return is going to meet you in those needs. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Now we have to be honest, we live in a very different culture. We live in such a material, materialistic world. We have all of our needs. All of our true needs are met. And we think we, we have wants and we think they're needs. And so it kind of spins us out. But scripture is very clear. God says, Listen, I will meet all of your needs. And the real question is, what are our true needs? What is the thing that God is actually going to meet us with? Because we have food, we have shelter, we have things, maybe we don't have the right kind of food, we don't have the right kind of shelter, we don't have the right kind of resources, so we're all anxious. But God says, no, I'm going to re- give you your needs. You give to me, you, you, have this, you have this relationship with me where you offer me your life, you offer me your resources, you offer to me your investment into the kingdom of God, and God in return is going to come and meet our needs. And last week, uh, or maybe two weeks ago, we had our MCC go. This was um, our ministry for entrepreneurs and founders, and Daniel led this devotion, and he showed this picture. This is his son, Cannon, running on the beach. I'm like, oh, what a, that's a great picture. But he's like, listen, it's more than a great picture. And what, what, he, was, what, what he was saying is, listen, as an entrepreneur— our financial resources and the chaos of trying to raise money and to build a company, like you get so pent up in the actual physical monetary needs that that, all of your needs all become monetary. But what happens when you recognize that God has provided you something different, that God has actually provided your peace? And he he shared this passage in Philippians that we read a couple weeks ago that says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this thing that God is going to provide in us is peace, is his presence. God says, listen, I am going to be with you forever. And I love this picture of canon because kids get this. They get it so much that they have no idea what it means that you have provided all their needs for you, right? A kid is just, I'm on the beach, woo! They have no idea that they had to pay for their car and their car insurance and all the food and you had to figure out where they're going to go to the bathroom and you had to figure out everything that's going to go into this incredible day because you are the parent and you are freaking out and you have to do everything that you can so that your kid can just be free. But really, that's what God is inviting us to do, that if we, we get so caught up in this moment, we get so caught up in the anxieties and the burdens and the chaos of this moment, and our perspective gets so out of whack because we don't have all the resources that we need, and God's just like, no, no, no. I'm going to supply every one of your needs. And if you can actually get the perspective where you trust me, where you know that I love you, that I'm with you, that I am going to walk with you for this 80-year life, and I'm going to supply every one of your needs, then all of a sudden we could have this peace. I cannot remember the last time that I could just be free at the beach 
Every time I go to the beach, I'm always worried about something, right? If I'm going to get towed because I parked illegally, or if my kids are going to drown, or right, I'm just like always freaked out. I'm always on edge. But kids are not like that. And I love this picture of canon because I think God is inviting us. Part of our right perspective is to embrace God's true provision. And we live in such a materialistic context that we need to take finances off the table a little bit. I mean, it, it's a real thing, but we, we see God through the lens of finances. And when that happens, I think we miss out on all the true gifts that God has for us. His actual presence, his actual peace, so we can actually just frolic on the beach. Gosh, wouldn't that be great? Well, as a, um, so that's one thing that we need to figure out this financial piece. But that's the, that's the one part of our perspective. The second is this, where Paul says, the secret of being content. And I'm going to go back up to verse 11. And he says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that whatever situation I am content. And so right here, here's Paul doing that dance. Like, yep, I need resources, but God's going to show up. But I need resources, but God's going to show up. Right? You can see him kind of doing this dance. But he's trying to clarify, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned for whatever situation I am to be content. For I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Gosh, what a powerful statement. I know how to abound, for sure. But could you actually say, I know how to be brought low? Like part of life, part of our journey, part of our perspective, part of over our 80-year arc of life, we are going to be brought low. Like that's going to happen. And so if you know that's going to happen, right, then there's, there's something to be learned and there's something that God's inviting us into it. And to be able to say confidently, gosh, I know how to be brought low. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every situation, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Gosh, wouldn't you like that? What is the secret? You want to know what the secret is of facing all these things, to be brought low, to abound for money, for plenty or hunger, abundance and need? And here's the secret, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here's the, there's three quick things I want to talk about. This idea of the secret to contentment the secret of being satisfied, the secret that recognizing in this life arc that we're in, which is in the middle of this giant arc of the kingdom of God, how do we sit in this moment and be satisfied? How do we sit in this moment and be content? How do we sit in this moment and have our hearts actually allow us to frolic on the beach a little bit? Well, there's three things. And the first thing is this idea that we have to have a correct narrative, and a correct narrative is the story. We all have a story in which we frame our life and the world in which we live in. That narrative helps us know how, our, how to, how to uh, leverage these experiences, where to put um, the bullet point, I mean, the decimal point. Our children's ministry team right now is reading this book called Un uh, Generation Z Unfiltered, Facing the Nine Hidden Challenges of the Most Anxious Population. Oh, how's that? And it's such a helpful book. And in fact, our children's ministry team is going to be... Um, having these uh, downstairs for you to take a look at in a couple weeks. But what I love is this guy, he, he basically paints this picture of Generation Z, which is basically 22-year-olds and younger, and the world that they're living in. And what's the narrative? What's the narrative story that they're trying to calibrate all of their life perspective in? And he says, this is it. Our world right now is full of speed. It's full of convenience. It's full of entertainment. It's full of nurture and it's full of entitlement. 
And those are things that are seen as of core value to young people. And really to us, I think, if we're honest, we put it on the kids, but really those are things that are valuable to us as a culture. And what's interesting is he says, if those things are to be true, then the inverse is also true. So therefore, kids, but really you and I, can assume that anything slow is bad. Anything hard is bad. Anything boring is bad. That risk is bad and that labor is bad. What's interesting is slow, hard, boring, risk, labor, those are, that's the hard work of life. Anything that you do that matters is going to require those things. And how weird that we live in a cultural moment, that the things that we need for character and faith development that are the core foundations of knowing those things, that our whole culture says those things are bad. Talk about being in big trouble, right? No, no wonder we are so anxious right now. And this guy has a whole book to talk about that. So I just thought that was really helpful. In one of the commentaries I read this, this last week, he says, but Paul is totally different. This is Paul's narrative. Paul is a passionate participant in this divinely ordered drama. The secret for Paul, how he can, be in, he can be brought low, how he can live in plenty and in want, is because he is a passionate participant in this divine drama. God has this incredible play that is unfolding for all of humanity to see. The kingdom of God is slowly unfolding in this march across time. And we, in this moment, are participants in it. And so, yes, in your current situation, you may be brought low, you may have abundance, but instead of seeing it as risk is bad and boring is bad and being in want is bad and labor is bad, no, we see, oh my goodness, what is God doing in this moment? We are participants in this giant, um, giant drama. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? He says that God works um, so that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. doesn't mean that your life is going to be good, unfortunately. That's not exactly what it means. But he says that he's using your life. He's using the things in your life, your circumstances. This moment, he is going to use to move along this divine drama of the kingdom of God. So one of the things, the secret of contentment is having a correct narrative. And that correct narrative is that our life has to be more about our life and about our comfort and about this moment. Our life is on this giant arc nestled in this giant ark of God's divine play. And you and I get to be participants in it. How cool is that? You are incredibly important to the body of Christ, to the narrative of God. And if you're sitting off stage, then the play is not what it needs to be. Every single one of us, with all of our unique gifts, with all of our unique burdens, are needed to be participants in this play. The second thing is the secret to contentment is strength from Jesus. I, this is such a, a challenging thing because I think we all want strength, especially if we are in a dip, if our life arc is, happens to be in a dip and we're, our life is marred by anxiety and burdens and challenge and we just need strength. And a lot of times we think we need strength, at least for me, I think that means I want the victory. God, I know how I want this thing to map out. I know how this thing should end and I'm going to pray for strength so that this victory happens. And what's so challenging is, I mean, some of the Psalms, David is kind of a weird person, but he's, you know, he's inspired by God and he writes these Psalms. And according to David, so 3,500 years ago, we have a couple little passages of scripture where, yes, God is going to make this victory happen. But those are mostly military victories in this tiny little part of human history. Since the New Testament, all of God's prayers, all the people of, who are connected to Jesus, when they prayed for God's strength, they prayed for strength to endure. Super less sexy. I totally get that. In Philippians, earlier in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, 
Paul says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And this idea that when we pray to Jesus, when we pray for strength, really what our prayer is, is that we would actually have strength to endure. Right? If you've ever done anything that requires endurance, it is hard. You are always looking to pull the ejection handle. And God fashioned human beings in such a way that we are way stronger than we know. Right? Even people who aren't connected to Christ, once they master their brains and master their inner narrative, can do, their bodies can accomplish way more than they know. And then you add the actual Holy Spirit who indwells every believer to actually give them the fortitude and the power and the grace and the peace to navigate whatever challenge, whatever anxiety, whatever burden you're walking through. That is part of our narrative. That is part of the reality. If you want to know how to be content, then to recognize that God is with you in presence and in power. But what a different thing to think, God, give me the power to endure. Give me the power to be your person. Give me the power to be the gracious one. Give me the power to be your body in this. That's a totally different prayer. And God, one that God, I think, always meets than God, give me the victory. Because I always think, at least I've always found my victory is different than God's victory. And the third thing is this. The secret to contentment is being connected to the body. It's funny because even non-Christians get that being connected to people matter. As followers of Christ, we get that being connected to one another is vital. All the pictures of scripture, we are the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, right? says that we belong to one another. We're not just people who fill in a room. We're not just friends who like to, you know, have a good glass of wine together, but we belong to one another. Um, I recently did a wedding and, uh, and it's so fun. I, I, I love going to weddings because it's this moment that's actually really kind, right, in a, in a marriage chaos arc. But in that moment, it's like, look how great it is. But you're there, and the, the, bride's, the bride and groom look so handsome and beautiful, and the, the, the people who, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, and everyone's standing up there, and they're looking all so beautiful, and they take great pictures. But what's more important than the pictures, and, and unfortunately, our culture has moved so far away from this, but the idea is this, this union this leaving and cleaving, this becoming one unified being, this unified thing, this new identity that's being formed is going to be supported by these people. These people standing up here are the people who are supposed to fight and contend and make sure that this marriage thing happens. And we've kind of given up on that, but that's the idea. And as the body of Christ, that's what we're doing. We're saying, man, you are in it in life and you're in it in the kingdom of God and we are connected to one another. Um, this last weekend, I was watching the Democratic debates, and uh, what I thought was interesting is one of the questions was, who's a friend uh, that you might find surprising? And they all went, uh, not all of them, but three of them went for like the total easy like layup pitch, but they went for John McCain. John McCain's like every Democrat's uh, favorite Republican to like, especially since he's dead. And, um, and so, but I was captured by it. I was like, oh man, that's right. What a compelling person. But I started thinking, and as I was thinking about it, why is he so compelling? And he did a lot of things politically that was so compelling. But what, what made him have so much um, social capital is because he navigated an awful situation. And the way he navigated it was so incredible. So in, uh, in October 26, in 1967, um, he was flying a Skyhawk bomber over Hanoi, right? And many of you are familiar with the story. And he gets shot down. 
and he gets shot down. He pulls the ejection handle, and uh, the, the, the power of, of the, that whole experience broke his leg and his arms before he even lands on the ground, right? And he lands on the ground, and, uh, and all of these Viet Cong come and surround him, and they, all, and they beat him up, and they beat him over the head with the, with the butt of their rifles, and he gets stabbed with the bayonet, and he just gets, just gets totally decimated. And then they bring him to a hospital, and they slowly start caring for him. But over five and a half years, um, you know, he was tortured and he was um, set in solitary confinement. And it's just this horrific story. And reading his, some of his, uh, his journal entries and hearing some of his interviews, I was just mesmerized all week as I'm hearing the story. And what I loved, and what I loved about this story is what made the, him so incredible. Why I think he, he has captured the American um, heart and mind in his story is because he understood that his capture was not all about him. And he knew that being in solitary confinement and being tortured, and he recognized that he was an officer and that he needed to be there for his men. And so while they were in solitary confinement, which is like the number one, right? Like it's the ultimate punishment. Isn't that interesting? The ultimate punishment isn't even execution. It's being isolated, being set alone by yourself, disconnected from everybody. And yet John McCain and, and, and some of the other guys there, they found ways to communicate. And so they would sit on the walls and they would tap messages to each other letting them know that there was someone there with them. And when they were going through um, torture and they were going through all those things, they, that they, were, they were inspired to continue to do that because they were there for their brothers. And, and there's some guys that, at John McCain's funeral who were interviewed and they said, no, John was like, he was our brother. Not like a brother, he was our brother. And I just think, what a fascinating person. Here's someone, talk about the valley. Talk about can my life get any worse? And here he is for five and a half years, a POW. And here he was postured, recognizing, oh my goodness, I am in this moment. And I'm in this moment, not for me, but I, and not even just to survive, but to help the people who are under me to survive. And he shares this in one of his, uh, in one of his memoirs. I was finding that prayer helped. And it wasn't a question of asking for superhuman strength or God to strike the North Vietnamese dead. Right away, you see his character is very different than my character. Here he is. This is his prayer. I've, I was finding that I prayed for help. It wasn't a question of asking for superhuman strength or for God to strike the North Vietnamese dead. It was asking for moral and physical courage, for guidance and wisdom to do the right thing. I asked for comfort when I was in pain. Sometimes I re received relief, and I was sustained in many times of trial. And I just think, gosh, what, what an incredible testimony. Because I often think, man, my life is so hard right now. You don't understand the things that are going on. And each of us could say that we all have these dips that just crush our souls. But we need to have a perspective. We need to recognize this thing that we're going through. Even if it's the worst thing like John McCain was going through, he was able to sit and recognize that God was at work. God had this thing. God had this thing for him. And for John McCain, right, it was his faith in God and it was service to his other people. And here we are as people in Marine Covenant who are all going through our own little different things. And God actually has something for you to be a part of. God actually longs for the way that you navigate this trial, this anxiety, this burden to give testimony to who God is and what God is doing. So as we wrap up our time in Philippians, I'm going to go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrances of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you, are all making, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now. So the way that we began Philippians and the way that I'd love for us to end it is this recognition that we are called to be the church. We are called to be in partnership with one another. We have been called to be here in this moment, in this place, to be partners in ministry. We come to church because it's great and we get to encounter God and we get to be encouraged in our faith. But really our church is just, we exist so that we can be a small part of expanding the kingdom of God here in Marin. And you are active participants in it. You're not passive people. You are active participants in the kingdom of God and you are called to be partners in ministry. You're called to move towards Christ and soften your heart to have a heartfelt, devoted walk with Jesus. And the way that we do that is by being interconnected to one another. I don't know if, if you watched the World Cup this summer, but this is the Women's World Cup team that won it all this summer. And uh, it was so fun. And, I, and I'm not going to lie, I hate soccer. I know you can send me emails, um, but I, I don't get it. However, even someone who's hard-hearted like me found just the end of the World Cup, like, oh my goodness, this is so engaging. And, the, and they won the whole thing and it was great and they toured. And, uh, and I just think every one of these stories are so great. And, uh, and they're also photogenic and beautiful. And they just crushed, like watching these athletes crush the world stage was so awesome. And what's interesting is I, I read a, a, an interview from the coach and uh, one of the coaches was saying, hey, it's, it's easy to collect a team of incredible people. Like, that's actually not that hard to do. What isn't hard to do is to correct, collect an incredible group of people who actually are willing to be not just the best on the team, but are willing to do the best for the team. And I think that's what God is inviting us to do, to say, listen, you are unique in the way that God made you, and you need to be the best person that God has wired you to be. And you're not to be the best for you, but you are to be the best for the body of Christ that we are called to be interconnected, that your life and my life is called to be interconnected so that we can do this life of ministry. And so here's kind of a cheesy little ask, but I wanted to invite you this Sunday that will you join me in both life and ministry? And this is what I mean by that. I'm not just a pastor. You're not just a person sitting in the pews, but that we are the body of Christ. We are a unique gathering of the body of Christ here in Marin. And God is inviting you in good times and in bad to be ministers of the gospel, to be his hands and feet, to extend God's grace and mercy to a county that desperately needs it. And one of our testimonies is not shouting it from the tops of roofs or not going to people's faces with bullhorns. Our best testimony is the way that we love each other. That's what Jesus said. People are going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. And so one of the simple ways that we can partner in ministry, that we can partner in life, is that we are invited to share one another's burdens. And we all come here on church. You all look so beautiful. We all put our best foot forward and you are just like masters of the universe for this one 45 minutes. And then you go home and like it's, you have your real life. But would you be willing this morning to let your real life out a little bit. Under your seat is a little rock and a pen. And what I would invite you to do is I'm gonna invite Michael out and we're gonna spend a few moments in prayer. And I would love for you to consider what is your burden? Because I know that you look beautiful right now, but the truth is we all have things going in our life that are burdening, burdening us. Whether it's things that are happening in our family, 
things that are happening in our finances, things that are happening with our health, things that God is grabbing a hold of our heart and inviting us to say yes to or compelling us to say no to. Every single one of us, if we're quiet for one second, can recognize that there is something that we're carrying. And most of us want to take the burden and throw it away. But that is not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is that we take these burdens, we cast all of our cares on Christ, and we bear with one another. I wish Scripture said, I will take away all of your burdens. That's not what it says. Scripture says that Jesus will walk with us, and we as the body of Christ are compelled to share one another's burdens. So what I'm going to ask you to do while Michael's going to sing this song over us is to think of what is that anxiety, what is that burden that's unique to you, and you're going to write it on this rock. And then after this song, Michael will give us some instructions, but the basic gist is you're going to come and you're going to lay your burden as an offering to Christ and to the people of Christ. And then you're going to go to another part of the room and you're going to take somebody else's burden. And for this week, we're going to invite you to carry somebody else's burden. You're not going to know who they are, but somebody in this room has this burden and you're going to get to keep this burden with you and you're going to pray for them. You're going to walk with them. You're going to be a partner in life and in ministry with them and with me. Let me pray for us and then we'll, 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 we'll hop into this time. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I'm so thankful for my friends in this room and for the privilege it is to, to do life together. Not this moment, but the 80-year arc of life. And not just this moment, but this part of the kingdom of God expanding here in Marin. To be partners in ministry, to encourage each other to have heartfelt devotion towards you and to share our true lives with each other. Give us the courage and the strength to be more authentic with you and with one another. And as we lay our burdens down, God, we, we lean into your true promises that you will be with us and that you will extend your peace over us. Have your way with us, Jesus. Amen.